It's great to have you with us from wherever you're tuning in from. For more information about Elevate Church or to contact us, head to our website elevatechurch.me and take us wherever you go by downloading our Elevate Church AU app. We hope this message inspires and helps you to take your next steps in your journey. He came with specific instructions. Use it wisely. My grandmother said, it is only for the most special occasion. It had been a gift from her mother who told her the same thing only for the most special occasion. I held it for years, not knowing what could be special enough for this. Until... It was six days before Passover. He was reclined, his feet towards me. Around him, his followers. I too was a follower, at first at a distance. He invited us. The women, women, really everyone, to come near to hear his stories of God's curious kingdom. That night, I gathered my perfume from its safe hiding place. The room crowded with men. No one noticed me. Without hesitation, I broke open the lid of the bottle. The perfume drenched his feet. With a slight smile, he, he looked at me. And then, I did something I had not planned. I covered covered his feet with my hair, washing them with my tears. I had no choice. He was Messiah, worthy of anointing. This, this was the celebration that everyone hoped for, of who we hoped for. I kept the bottle and the memory. The perfume was not wasted. He, he was the most special occasion. We have a um an expression that maybe some of you are familiar with, which has been truncated down to four letters, T-G-I-F. Thank God it's Friday. Some of you who work Monday to Friday, you've actually woken up Friday morning and that's the first thought that's popped into your mind. Poof, T-G-I-F, weekend's coming, baby. Just gotta get through one more day. Good Friday is a statement to us that we don't have to stop short of saying Thank God it's Friday, but rather we can actually declare confidently, thank God for Friday. Because without Jesus' cross, there would have been 
no resurrection. Without Jesus' death, there would have been no new life available to you and I. And so we declare very, very boldly that today is Good Friday. And uh, we're glad that you're here to join us to walk through that. I recently discovered that if you type into your search engine the word frozen, you won't get references to the Arctic tundra or Alaskan wilderness. You'll actually get the first hit will be reference to a movie that is released in 2013 called Frozen. Is anyone familiar with that movie? Has anyone watched that movie? Has anyone watched that movie more than once? Has anybody been subjected by their kids to watch that movie more than once? Yep, God bless you, mom and dad, well done. Angela, Josephine, Davey. Uh, Jesus is proud of you. Probably my favorite character in that movie is Olaf the Snowman. Because Olaf is always happy, always joyful, but not just happy and joyful for himself, but he has this persistent commitment to bring joy to other people. And uh, I'm going to tell you a bit about the movie, but by the way, it was released in 2013, so this isn't a spoiler. If you haven't watched it yet, that's a terrible decision on your behalf. There's a point in the movie where Olaf, the snowman, finds Anna, and she's frozen. And, uh, and he grabs her, and he takes her into a room, and he lights a fire with the goal of, of, of warming her up and, you know, reviving her. And as she's warming up, and as she's becoming revived, she notices that the same fire that's reviving her is actually uh, melting and ultimately leading towards Olaf dying. And she says to Olaf, 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 you're melting. And Olaf had a, a great love for Anna. And he simply said to her, some people are worth melting for. And this is what Jesus says to us when we remember Good Friday, that some people are worth dying for, that he went through everything he went for because you and I are worth dying for. So what we want to do today is just walk through essentially some of the high points of the last week of Jesus' life here on this earth, or the last week before he ultimately was put to death on a cross. And uh, essentially, the week started or, or at least was bookended by Jesus setting out with his closest 12 followers on a 100-mile journey from Galilee into Jerusalem. And they were coming in to Jerusalem, as were many Jewish people uh, at the time, for Passover week, to celebrate Passover week at the epicenter of, of Judaism as far as Jew Jerusalem being the city. And so they're on this journey, uh, extensive journey. And um, last Sunday, we called, uh, or the church now calls Palm Sunday, which, which just signifies that on that particular day, when Jesus and his followers are making their journey, they were getting close to Jerusalem, about a week out, and um, less than a week out. And people had lined the street. They heard that Jesus was coming. They heard that the one that many people had started declaring as being the King of the Jews. And the King was coming. The Saviour was coming. The Messiah that we've all been waiting for for centuries was, was coming close to Jerusalem. And so they lined the streets. Like Jesus was like, he was like part rock star, part hero of the working class. And so the people that lined the street, they actually did something for Jesus that, that was sort of reserved for royalty, particularly for kings. And, and that was that, that, that people would, they lined the, the streets that were, you know, just old, uh, rustic, they weren't rustic, 
they were modern at that time, but we'd think them rustic today. They'd line them with their cloaks and they'd line them with palm fronds to make this kind of, you know, signify that kings should travel on, on elevated roads. And they were crying out to Jesus as he went past, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, which Hosanna is, is a Hebrew word, which simply means save now. There was this expectation and a sense of immediacy that Jesus was coming right now. This is the year. We've been waiting centuries for this. This is the year. He's arrived. This is the year that he's gonna save us and save us now. Hosanna in the highest. Well, during this 100-mile trek on the way in with Jesus and his closest 12 followers, he told them on multiple occasions whilst they're on the journey about what was gonna happen to him in Jerusalem. And look, I don't know if they were just a bit thick or if it was just a bit inconceivable, but for some reason they didn't get it. And so Jesus repeated and repeated. And I wanna pick up the record of the third time Jesus told his 12 followers what was gonna happen. Listen to me. This is the third time. So you start with fellas. Listen to me carefully. You're a bit thick. We're on our way up to Jerusalem, and when we get there, the Son of Man, that's me, Jesus, will be betrayed to the religious leaders and scholars, and they will sentence me to death. They will hand me over to the Romans and will mock and spit on me, give me the third degree and kill me. Well, if that was the end of the story and the end of the declaration, we wouldn't be here celebrating what we now call Good Friday, but Jesus hadn't finished. And he said, but after three days, I will rise alive. So on the Sunday, he arrived into Jerusalem. The people were singing out, Hosanna, Hosanna. And this was this week called Passover. And Passover, they would celebrate the Jewish people still to this day on that Thursday evening, celebrate with a Passover meal. But, but the whole week kind of had various festivities and customs and rituals and traditions. And so Jesus, you know, he was walking in with his followers for Passover week, or at least on the surface. Meanwhile, while Jesus was coming in from the West, the governor of Jerusalem, an appointee from Rome, was coming in from the East and he was arriving in very different circumstances. I mean, Jesus was on the original Mustang convertible, a donkey, and the Roman governor, by comparison, he would have had golden eagles held up on staffs by his foot soldiers. He would have had a whole convoy with soldiers and supplies and fanfare. And uh, he was coming in to Jerusalem also for Passover week, but as a Roman, not as a Jew. And so he wasn't coming in to celebrate Passover week. He was coming in to make sure everything with this influx of them Jews, that everything would remain under control, that Rome wouldn't lose one iota of power. And what ultimately history records for us is that Jesus riding in from the east was going to have a confrontation with Pontius Pilate arriving in from the West, the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of Rome. That was the Sunday. They, they were destined to meet head to head on the Friday. Now, at this point in time, Jesus had become, like I said, a rock star among the people. And he grew in not just... Uh, recognition, but he, he grew in popularity and he grew in influence. And, and the religious leaders, they felt that for every 
percentage point of influence that Jesus went up, that the threat was that they would lose a percentage point of their influence. And so they very much saw Jesus as a threat. And now we have Jesus on the Monday in Jerusalem, the epicenter of Judaism. And the religious leaders were spending their time trying to figure out how they could take Jesus out, how they could actually eliminate the threat. That was Monday. On the Tuesday, Jesus and his followers shared a meal, which is where Mary of Bethany cracked open a jar of expensive perfume and washed Jesus' feet with it. And by the way, the indignant observers got angry with her for over-worshipping. But this meal on the Tuesday was also the day that one of Jesus' chosen 12, a guy named Judas, actually decided that he was going to betray his rabbi. I thought he was the one. We all thought he was the one. Everyone did. There was a party, and we were all, we were all there, and, and some woman comes in, and she has a bottle of perfume, expensive perfume, and she just pours it all over him. She did that because she thought he was the one. What a waste. We could have sold that perfume and used the money for a greater purpose. I tried to tell him as much. But he came back at me insinuating that he was the purpose. Even so, I believed he was the one. I believed that he was gonna turn everything upside down. I, 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 just, I just knew it. I mean, people would have followed him anywhere. All he had to do was just say the word, but he wouldn't say the word. Instead, he, my time has not yet come. That's what he would say over and over to me. My time has not yet come. Are you kidding me? He was raising people from the dead for crying out loud. He was healing the blind, producing food out of thin air. My time has not yet come. So I forced his hand. I made his time come. Things needed to push. And I was the only one that had the courage to do it. We were all up there eating. We were all up there. He looks across the table to me and he says, get on with it. How, how did he know what I was gonna do? It wasn't about the money. It was not about the money. It's just when you have that kind of power that he has, why wouldn't you leverage it to forward, to forward the agenda? People listen to him. You know the sound a wave makes after it hits the shore? And how quiet it gets after a few seconds when it stops? That was Jesus. When he
when he spoke, it was like a, a rolling wave. And the crowds listening, they were the hush at the end of the wave. Because when he spoke and you were there in his presence, there was no doubt in anyone's mind he was the one. So this moment in history was when Judas, one of Jesus' hand-picked 12, actually chose to betray Jesus, actually to reveal the location of Jesus on this Thursday evening Passover meal, which is a, a meal, an event we now call the Last Supper. And uh, the religious leaders came and they, and they arrested Jesus and they took him and they started beating him. They started punishing him. This was Thursday night. And this went on all night through to Friday morning. And on Friday morning, they presented Jesus to the governor of Jerusalem, the Roman appointed governor of Jerusalem, Pontius Pilate. So right now, there's this confrontation. Right now, things are going head to head. Right now, we see the kingdom of God going up against the kingdom of Rome. And they threw down Jesus, beaten, bloodied, potentially starting to become unrecognizable to the people that knew him. But here's the thing, Pontius Pilate, he'd never met Jesus in person. Chances are it's quite likely that he would have heard of Jesus. He would have been aware of him by way of reputation, but never actually met him face to face, never met him in person. And so the, the, the religious leaders threw Jesus down in front of Pontius Pilate, the governor of Jerusalem. And Pontius Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Like, is this it? Like, this, this, this is a pretty underwhelming sight. Like you, you look like you're struggling to even breathe. You're, are you... Come on. And Jesus, no pushover, looks at the governor with all the power that Rome had afforded him and said, if you say so. And so Pilate asked again, aren't you going to answer anything? I mean, here's the thing. When innocent people are put before the governor of Jerusalem, I don't think any of them would have stayed quiet. Like, aren't you going to answer anything? This is quite a list of accusations. And still, Jesus said nothing. Well, Pilate was impressed, really impressed. But the thing is that, so, so, so the Jewish leaders didn't have the authority to crucify or to put to death one of their own because Rome was in charge. So it's only Rome that could actually issue a death sentence, hence them coming to the governor 
the Roman governor of Jerusalem, and asking, imploring him, can you sentence Jesus to death? And Pilate, to his credit, he realized he didn't have enough, enough to go on to actually issue the ultimate death sentence on Jesus. So he sort of did a bit of a half-baked move. He permitted for them to take Jesus off and to be whipped, to, to be given 39 lashes. And look, if you've seen some Western movies or some Hollywood dramas, let me explain something. What was about to take place was way worse than anything you've seen in the movies, that they would use what's called a cat of nine tails, which yes, it had leather strands, but those leather strands had tied into them bits of rock and bits of bone. And, 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 and the idea was that they, had, they didn't actually whip the person. What they would do is they would actually tie the person, in this case, Jesus, would have, would have had his arms tied around a post. And they did that so that the skin on the back of the, of the person would be taut and would be therefore easier to be ripped apart. And they would essentially drape this whip, this cat of nine tails across the back of the person and then yank it and rip flesh out. It got to the point where 60% of people sentenced to the 39 lashes actually died before the 39th. Six out of 10 didn't even survive. Jesus survived, but, but at the end of the 39, he, his, his vital organs would have been exposed, vi, vi, visibly exposed, his bones, skeletal system, visibly exposed. And then they brought him back to Pilate for a second go. And Pilate, again, to his credit, recognized he didn't have enough evidence against Jesus to issue a Roman authorized death sentence. But this has been this uh, trial, if you want to call it that, was actually being held in open court, and a crowd had gathered, as you would imagine. And Pilate, in a pretty weak leadership moment, handed over to the crowd, said, "Well, what do you think? I'm going to wash my hands of it." And he literally washed his hands and said to the crowd, "What do you think?" And what's I guess, uh, I mean, there is an explanation for it, but it's still disturbing to know that many of the same people who five days earlier had been crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, save now, were now crying out, crucify him, crucify him. And Mark, one of the four biographers of Jesus' public life, when it came to Jesus being crucified, he simply had one sentence, he couldn't, and didn't need to say anything more than this. And they nailed him to the cross. And for Mark's audience, they, they didn't need any more explanation than this. Because in that time in history, the Romans were going bonkers crucifying people. I mean, even Jesus wasn't crucified on his own. They managed to kind of squeeze in two other actually guilty people. In fact, it was said that the, that the forests in the Roman Empire were, were, were almost depleted entirely because they were cutting down so many trees to, to crucify the number of people that they were sentencing to death. So it was so widespread that Mark just said, and they crucified him. And everybody 
that read that, whether, whether they were there or not, when they read or heard that Jesus had, a bit, had been crucified, they knew exactly what they meant. They knew exactly how horrific that was. They, they didn't need any more explanation than this. They had a visual on that. But here's, here's something worth understanding is that now today in some churches, perhaps more traditional churches, you'll see crosses outside, inside, around and about. Some of you might have them in your homes. Some of, some of you may have a cross around your neck. The cross as a symbol of Jesus' followers was not first used until 400 years after Jesus had actually been nailed to the cross. Because think about it. Now, if, if, if Jesus was around today and he'd been, he'd been ascended to death today, he may very well have been hung or, or in, like now, now, maybe put in an electric chair. And if you decided that in that moment, having heard about him, having believed he was who he said he was, and that he was actually put to death in an electric chair, think about it for a second. Would you leave this place today and go out and buy an electric chair to put on a necklace around your neck? Of course you wouldn't. And nor could those people for 400 years. In fact, they, it was 300 years after Jesus was put to death that the Romans actually outlawed, finally, crucifixion as a means of capital punishment. And then another 100 years before his followers could actually bring themselves to use the cross as a symbol of their faith. But here's the thing. Jesus took a symbol of death and turned it into a symbol of life. Jesus turned everything upside down. And here's why it's called Good Friday. And here's why Jesus' death on the cross matters. He, this is written by one of his 12, Peter. He, Jesus, used his servant body to carry our sins to the cross so that we could be rid of sin. Some people are worth dying for. And now we are free to live the right way. His wounds became our healing. Who do you think prepared the Last Supper? Look, Brad, it's easy enough. It's flour, water, a little salt, herbs if you want more flavor. Normally you'd add yeast, but not at Passover. No, at Passover we cannot wait for the bread to rise. Our deliverance from Pharaoh is at hand. So the story goes. Passover is always the same. We eat the bread, we drink the wine. There's lamb, bitter herbs. We remember our deliverance and our coming deliverance. Next year in Jerusalem, we always say, Messiah will come. It's always the same. But sometimes it, it seems so far away, so complicated. But this year, things were, well, two men, followed our servant home from fetching water. They were wanting a place to celebrate Passover with their rabbi, and my husband and I, we had an extra room. 
So I baked the unleavened bread and I delivered it when they arrived. The rabbi graciously introduced himself and a horde of 12 men followed him into our upper room. I'd heard about this rabbi. Wild tales of healing blind men, raising the dead, and walking on water. So naturally, I stood outside the, the door and I peeked around the corner. And that is when he turned it all upside down. You see, the person who sits at the head of the table isn't supposed to get up and wash other people's feet. But this rabbi, he was moving from man to man, washing each of their dirty feet. Well, I pulled back before I was seen, but still, I listened. I stayed and listened. His words were sure, kind, but, but like fire, like no rabbi I'd ever heard. If you see me, then you see the Father, he said. He also said that he would be broken for them. He talked of the new covenant and being children rather than orphans. And as the bread was passed, the unleavened bread of deliverance, he said, I am the living bread. Living bread. What could we have understood about that at the time? The new covenant was coming, and our deliverance was at our doorstep. Little did we know that our entire world was about to be turned upside down. We really hope you got a lot out of this message. If you live in the Perth area, we'd love for you to join one of our live experiences. For times and directions, as well as information, head to our website, elevatechurch.me. For those of you beyond the Perth area, we'd love for you to connect with our online experience, which premieres every Sunday via YouTube and Facebook Live, and on demand immediately after. And to partner with us to reach more people by giving financially, head to our website, elevatechurch.me and also download our Elevate Church AU app.